You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. This season, we are sharing conversations about the five adaptive muscles the church must strengthen to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. For more information about these muscles, visit tmf-fdn.org and click Leadership Ministry. Welcome, friends. We're really glad you've joined us today for our third of six episodes about the five adaptive muscles that congregations need to strengthen and exercise in order to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. If you didn't listen to the previous episode, we discussed the first muscle, grieving well, and we've found that tending to grief really is foundational to this work. I hope you'll go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. Today's muscle is discerning purpose. And I'm here again with my colleagues, or I guess if we continue this muscle metaphor, fitness buddies. Yes, okay, fitness buddies. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I am sure it's good to see you both. Scott Sharp, Blair Thompson White, hello, and welcome back. Hi, Lisa. Hello, it's good to be back. So, for the muscle of discerning purpose, I interviewed Susan Beaumont. Susan is a consultant, coach, author, and spiritual director. She has worked with hundreds of congregations and denominational bodies across the United States and even in Canada. Susan is known for her groundbreaking work in the leadership dynamics of large congregations. Her most recent book is How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going, Leading in a Liminal Season. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is such an exceptional guide for this season. So Blair and Scott, what stood out for you during this conversation? I was just reflecting on the fact that next to my computer is my Bible and uh, Susan Beaumont's book. <laughs> so I mean, I'm not <laughs> perfect. I'm not yes. like equating them, right? But like they are both very necessary for this liminal season. So that's just the first thing I want to say about that. Very important book. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, and great interview with Susan. And one of the things that just strikes me so deeply about her commentary on discernment is that that difficult piece that we have to let go of things to discern, that we have to mm -hmm. be in a place where we're not going to hold on to anything too much. She talks about the temptation of going back or the temptation of jumping forward to something that we don't know yet. What she really talks about is being in the liminal space and boy, that's difficult to do. And yet that is at the root of discernment. Yeah, it, it stood out to me too, how much she talked about letting go, like letting go of wanting to control the moment and the timing and letting go of what we think we already know and how we want things to turn out. And, and even letting go of the leadership practices that we have been trained in and, and relied on for so long. That's a lot of letting go. That's so true. And there is grief in that, right? Like there's grief in accepting the present moment and letting go of all the roles and dynamics that we are uh, used to yeah. bringing in to the room with us. Right. And, and I loved how she incorporated spiritual practice. And that's one of the things that Susan does <laughs> so well is she has this brilliant organizational mind and she brings it right alongside spirituality and discipleship and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I love how she talks about getting still and that stillness yeah. is not the same as silence. Like it's different that there's this like sitting comfortably in a space and, and not being sidetracked, but just holding what is right in front of me, the, the present issue and, and not being reactive. And I just, in our world today, 
we can be so reactive to everything. I mean, that's the default really. And so the stillness invites us into a non-reactive stance, which we really need in certainly in congregations and in, in leadership groups, right? Like that's just so important if we're going to really follow where the spirit's leading us. Yeah. It just seems like there's so much anxiety. So we try to do something and that often dismisses the whole notion of discernment. And yet, you know, Susan's so careful to also remind us that there are just decisions to make, you know, like where to paint the lines on the, (laughs) on the parking lot. (laughs) So. Yeah. And just distinguishing between when we need to be discerning and when we need to be making a decision. Mm -hmm. And I loved how she talked about uh, the annual operating budget, which we all do right in in congregations. But what if we just spent some time in discernment before we actually get down to the numbers? Wow. What a difference that would make. So this again is part of our spiritual life together that we are listening for the spirit and then we're making decisions. Yeah. So the letting go doesn't mean just sitting there doing nothing. She actually gave us some of those spiritual practices that help us to exercise our discernment muscles, right? And we know when we exercise, we need to to do those practices over and over again so that we get stronger. And that's true in discernment too. And that feels really important. So, so true. The other practice that she names is humility. She, she catches herself a couple of times and says, wait, this isn't about me. This is about God. But then she also describes discernment as a real gift. And she, she, she claims that there are times when she just didn't see it happen. But when, when it is, we know that the Holy Spirit is really working. And, you know, that kind of spiritual humility and, that, and being a vessel and an instrument is really discernment embodied. Because that's what we're doing whenever we mm. try to practice this gift. So true, Scott. And I, I'm just reflecting too, very humbly on my tenure in local congregations. And if I could change one thing about my leadership, it would be this. It would be that in meetings, I would insist or invite us into times of discernment. That instead of just following the agenda, right, that's just such a decision-making driven kind of experience for people, like saying, no, 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 we're going to spend this time in discernment. And we're maybe going to start with reading the scripture together and being still together and and really taking in this idea that, yes, the spirit is present. Where are we being led as a people? So that that for me is a, a really important reflection. Decision-making alongside discernment is what I just want to do more of in every space that I am, even to this day. You know? I, Blair, I think, I think your comment there about doing discernment as a church body gets to another point that that Susan makes about this is kind of a lost art, sadly, in our church tradition. It's It reaches back so far, and yet we've lost the ability to do that. So again, in terms of this metaphor of the muscles, if you go to the gym and you have not been there ever, and you start with leg press, you're not going to be able to walk the next day. So, you know, how, how do we, how do we really, and she does this so well, she invites us generously and, 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 and I think easily into working with these practices that are applicable to a local congregation and that really start not with a thousand pounds on your back and a squat, but, you know, a five pound, you know, little dumbbell. Let's start there. <laughs> I think that's right. And it it also strikes me how important this is for this season. And, you know, she speaks directly to the anxiety that people are holding and, and how what makes people feel better is having a sense that we matter, 
right? Mm-hmm. Meaning making, and she says, and a clear sense of purpose. Those are the two things people need. When we have a sense that we matter and that what we're doing matters and makes a difference, we can put up with a lot of uncertainty. So it's discerning that's a way of being, but it's discerning what? It's discerning what God is calling us to, to be and do in this season that pulls us through liminality, right? So any last thoughts as we move into this conversation with Susan? Well, at the beginning, we referenced Susan's latest book. And, you know, in that and in the interview, she talks about when the soul of a leader connects with the soul of a congregation, that opens up all kinds of possibilities for discernment. So I'm really excited about the work that she's done naming that for us. And uh, gosh, I think that's just got so much traction for people. So I'm really excited about that gift that she's given to the church. That's great. That's great, Scott. Thanks. Thank you, Scott and Blair. And let's listen to our conversation with Susan. Hi, Susan. Thank you for being with us. Hi, Lisa. It's great to be here. It it is always good to be with you. And I can't wait for the day when we can sit down and have a cup of tea together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. While we're doing it virtually here. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to start, Susan, by saying how vital your book has been about leading in a liminal season. How to lead when you don't know where you're going has been um, so important in this season. And I I can't tell you how many times I've been on a call or in a conversation where it has come up and there are just nods all over the Zoom screen. So I would love if you would just say a word about how that project came to be, because it, it was it came about before the pandemic. Right. And here it is so critical. So will you just say a word about how the, how the book came to be and, and your uh, commitment to it? Yeah, I'm happy to. And you're right. The book was birthed. Actually, the leading into the book happened about five years before it was published. I was feeling an increasing disconnect between the work that I was doing and what felt like vitality. It felt to me like churches were trying to solve spiritual organizational problems with traditional ways of thinking about organizational life and that pastors were bifurcating who they were as spiritual leaders from their organizational leadership. And I was really desiring and looking for a place to kind of connect those things together, which prompted me to connect with the Shalem Institute and do training in spiritual guidance. And in the midst of that program was really where the notion of tending the soul of the institution Mm -hmm. and the liminal experience really began presenting itself to me as an organizing principle for what I felt like was going on in the larger church. But pre-pandemic, it felt to me that the larger church was in a liminal state stuck between a period in time where we were thriving and things worked for us and not yet ready to begin a new season and chapter. So unable to go back, not able to really move forward. And that all seemed to call for this kind of liminal space writing. And so the book was published in September of 2019. And then, of course, we all know what happened in the following spring when liminality became front and center for everyone. So... In the book, you talk about tending the soul of an institution. You just mentioned it, um, your work at Shalem. So can you say a word about what you mean by that, tending the soul of an institution? 
Yeah, I've spent a lot of time struggling with the language to talk about what it is I'm referring to. But for me, as someone who has worked in organizational leadership in the church now for several years as a consultant, moving in and out of all different kinds of venues, I have become aware that there is something alive within institutions themselves that I have come to refer to as the soul of the institution. Now, others may feel uncomfortable theologically with that language and might mm-hmm. want to think about it as the DNA of the organization. For me, I keep coming back to soul language because for me, there is a true self of the organization that knows who it is and what it needs to do and what its purpose is. And that soul has been on a journey. And so we as as leaders are entrusted with shepherding that soul for a season. And oftentimes I think we forget that it's there, that center of the divine spark within the organization Mm -hmm. that inherently knows uh, what is true and right for that organization to be doing. And at times we lose our way and we begin thinking that as leaders, if we use our best decision-making skills, then that's best, you know, that the current leadership body is the voice of the institution. So I am trying to make the distinction between the soulfulness of the institution and its spirituality, a distinction between the soul, that true self of the institution, and the voice of that leadership body, between the culture, which is a different thing than the soul. But, but again, I think that congregations are at their most vital when the soul of a leader is connecting with the soul of the institution and calling something forth. Mm. And that's really what my work, whether it's leadership coaching or consulting, is about trying to create that condition in which that happens. I want to say that differently because I I can't create it. It's a God thing. (laughs) But invite it forward, right? To invite Uh that connection forward or to make space for it to be recognized and to happen. Yeah, space for it to be recognized. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so that actually leads us right into our conversation about discernment, which uh-huh. we are naming as one of the important adaptive muscles that congregations need to exercise in this season, and particularly discerning purpose, meaning discerning the movement of the Holy Spirit and the call of God on our lives, right? Discerning that kind of God-given calling and purpose. And so you talk about that actually in a couple of different ways in the book. You talk about deepening discernment and you talk about clarifying purpose. And, and, and of course, they're both important. I would love for you to talk about sort of the act of discernment and why that's important. Why discernment is um, important. You know, discernment, I think, is always an important, has always been an important feature of church life. But particularly now, when we find ourselves in this highly uncertain state that we're in, all of our tendencies are to want to do one of two things. We either want to go back to what was to bring about a status quo that feels more comfortable, or we want to rush forward Mm -hmm. and invent a new chapter. And as we do that, we want to try to resolve the liminality. We, you know, we want to get over this and declare we're at the new place. We'd love to have the power to do that. 
And so that our impulses pull us back into doing very traditional managerial kinds of decision-making things, because that's what reduces our anxiety when we find ourselves in this disoriented state. Discernment is developing a quality of attentiveness that over time develops our sense of what God's heart and purpose is for this moment and developing our own capacity to be able to hear that, to feel that, and to lean into it and to be okay with the not knowing part of the time that that takes, right? Mm -hmm. So discernment is really important in this season because there's two things that are going to make people feel better right now, okay? One is meaning-making, right? Looking at where we've come from and helping people understand how where we are right now is a function of who we've always been and how we've gotten here. That's what helps people calm down, which is different from we've always done it this way. <laughs> but, it's a, <laughs> but it's a way of saying, let's tell our story and bring ourselves to this moment and talk about who we are now in this moment. But the other thing that helps people to feel better in this liminal state, to feel more rooted and like they can stay here for the time that they need to, is having a sense of purpose about even the now. So even in this place of chaos, confusion, and unknowing, that we can have a sense of clarity about this is who we are. This is the context within which we serve. These are the core values that have always marked who we are, and they're still true for us right now. And this is how we sense God pulling us through this time and into the next. So those kinds of conversations are really critical right now. And discernment is the tool that we use to come at that stuff. Now, I do want to say that one of the things that I'm encountering over and over in congregations is the conflation of how our culture talks about discernment and what we mean about that in a church context. Mm. And I think even a lot of our pastors are not making that distinction. So our culture likes to talk about discernment as using our truest, best thinking skills. So when I'm in touch with my authentic self and I make my decisions out of that, then I've been discerning. And if we bring that interpretation into our congregations, then we find ourselves very tempted to just take a group of our leaders together, our best thinkers, put them together in the room and say, hey, you all decide what to do. And then we've discerned. We've thought yeah. carefully. So that's, right. that's how a lot of us are thinking about that. But if in fact, and I love Ruth Haley Barton's definition of discernment when she says it's this quality of attentiveness to God that develops our, our sense of um, God over time and what what God's heart and purpose is for us in this moment, and then learning how to lean into that. And, and so when we have to do that as a group of leaders, it means we have to sometimes leave behind these decision-making skills that mm. we've honed to be a different way in relationship to the group listening so that we can be authentic about a discernment that's not just rooted in linear decision-making. You have said some really important things in that. So I love that you acknowledge the discomfort that we're in and you don't ignore it. You don't say, oh, just leave people in their discomfort. Now, we know that we don't want to rush too quickly to problem solving or decision making, but you're also saying there are some things that are productive in this time, fruitful. Remember who we are. And listen and pay attention to God's leading and to 
our purpose. Why are we here? And what are, are we about during the season? So that discernment is not the same as decision-making. Discernment right. is about listening and paying attention. Oh my gosh. I mean, if we could just listen to that and then lead out of that place, I just think the gravitational pull is so strong. Well, and we're so, we are so rooted in, um, and trained in these decision-making tools, Robert's Um, rules of order and how you run a council meeting and, you know, you have an agenda and you do this. And I'm, I'm not asking people to suspend all that and like just get together and just sit there listening to each other talk. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There are very specific methods and tools that we can bring into our group dynamics that can shift us away from that decision-making and into the discernment mode. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that'll be really helpful. First of all, if you're working with a group that you're trying to get to move into a more, more discerning mindset, it's important that you spend some time getting that group rooted together in a theology of discernment. Mm-hmm. Just for example, if I have 12 leaders sitting together in a room and one of those leaders sitting there believes that God changed three traffic lights for them to get to church on time for the meeting, and that's their understanding of God's agency, that God really works in the minutia of my life to open doors, close doors, unfold life in front of me. So I've got one person sitting who believes that. Next to them is a person who believes that God created the universe and set it in motion and gave me a brain and I'm supposed to work my way here and that God doesn't involve God's self in the day-to-day minutia of my life. Uh, those two people sitting next to each other are going to have a challenging time trying to figure out what discernment is. Right? <laughs> so we have to begin by talking about some fundamentals about how does God, you know, how is God's agency working in us and through us? And do we have a shared understanding about that? So that's first and foremost, there's a body of work that a lot of pastors can do with groups just to let's get us on a playing field about how we're going to talk about what we're doing when we think we're listening for God's voice. What does that even mean? Right? So that's a first thing that can be effective to do. I think the second thing is when we're trying to move a group towards a discerning mindset, we have to begin by carefully framing the issues for discernment, which is usually broader than the framing of a decision-making issue, right? A decision-making issue, something I'm making decisions about is where should we paint the lines in the parking lot? That's probably not something I'm going to do discernment over. But I may be working with this group to try and figure out what are we going to do with our 8.30 a.m. worship service in the fall in light of what's happening with COVID, right? Mm -hmm. If I were going to frame that as a decision to be solved, I would frame that just the way I just said it. What are we going to do with the 8.30 a.m. service, right? But in Mm -hmm. discernment mode, I might frame that much more broadly about what are we doing when we worship God and how is our worship of God playing itself in the times and the venues that we've chosen, uh, for our Sunday morning experience, right? That That's a different kind of, can, I hope you can hear the broadness. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. not very succinct in how I said that, but um, that we broaden it out. Then the, the second thing that's important to do as we're inviting a group into discernment is that we take them through some kind of a shedding exercise relative to the discernment topic, that we give them time and space to talk about 
where they're likely to get hooked in this, what they're already attached mm. to. Mm. Oftentimes, I do this with groups by just handing out some index cards and saying, write down, before we even begin conversation about this, write down everything you think you already know and have already decided about this question or this topic. And just let them get it all down on a piece of paper. And then we actually pass the offering box. <laughs> and then we collect those, right? And And we go through some kind of a meditation to release ourselves from our attachments to those outcomes, to the things we already think we know. We set them aside for the time and say we can pick them up later. But for now, set all of that aside. That's brilliant because those will come up. Those oh, they will do. Be, I mean, they that do. will drive the conversation if we don't name them. And then, and then I love that you're setting them aside and inviting right. folks to it's this stance of unknowing you talk about being yeah. able getting to getting them from a place of being mm-hmm. attached to a body of knowledge to saying, I don't know what we should be doing right now. And that's okay. I can sit in that open space. Nice. Then a, a third practice is to root the conversation in two or three core values before you let them get into the dialogue. To say, and this is, of course, most helpful for a congregation that has already done some core values work. If they already have a set of values that they kind of hang on to as a congregation to say, which of the values that we like to lift up are most relevant to this thing we're talking about right now? And let's put them on the table. And are there others that are really relevant here? And and we don't want to brainstorm the whole population of values that might pertain to this. But as we make this, you know, as, as we make this decision about what to do with this Sunday morning worship experience, we're going to honor excellence in the arts and music, which has always been a hallmark of who we are. We're going to honor and protect our shared Sunday school hour, because that's um, that's a, a unitive experience for us when we're all together and we're not going to do anything that interferes with that. So you kind of lay out the boundaries of the things that are important that will be honored and whatever happens. And just the act of going through framing, shedding, and grounding really can shift the whole dynamics of the conversation. And then I think the the final thing that is most important to do is to create and invite opportunities for stillness. And I want Mm. to make a distinction here between silence, which often helps us get to stillness, and stillness of spirit, which is what I'm really talking about. Okay, so stillness of spirit is when I can sit comfortably in my own space and in my own head and not be sidetracked by all the compulsions that I feel a need to respond to in the moment around this decision. You know, the, all the things I'm trying to protect, right? Like uh, I'm here, you know, I'm the only person sitting in this room that's in the choir and I need to advocate on behalf of the choir or nobody's thinking about what's going to happen for the youth. And that's my job here is to make sure that whatever we're doing, you know, stillness is getting to that place of just being able to be at at ease with the issue in front of me, to be able to hold it and to look at it and to be non-reactive about it. And oftentimes what gets us to stillness is an experience of silence or prayer or guided meditation right? But getting us into that space where we're not just listening to each other, but we're actually taking the time out of that stillness space Mm -hmm. to experience a nudging from God, 
experience some kind of prompting in the back of our mind that we weren't able to hear prior to the, the effort of, of getting to that stillness. And that's hard for groups to do. Um, we're awkward about that. When I first started doing this work, <laughs> I, I remember putting a group um, in asking them to sit for, in five minutes in silence with me. And I was at the front of the room and I had my eyes closed and I was really trying to be in the experience and sense with them and be there. And all of a sudden it occurred to me, I should open my eyes just to see what the room is doing. And um, about a third of the room looked like they were really there trying to be in that space. A third were trying, but they were so uncomfortable they couldn't even sit still in their chairs. You know, they would like open an eye and look at me like, "Is she? On? are we almost done with this? <laughs> and, the, and the final third was not even engaging it at all. They had literally taken out their cell phones and were scrolling through messages. And I don't, maybe they were on Facebook. I don't know what they were doing, but they were, they had checked out. They had just decided this doesn't pertain to me. I'll just wait until she's done with this. And then, and then we'll move on. So our people have, because of the pressures of our culture and our inability to sit still, we have very little capacity for this. And one of the things we need to do with our groups is to slowly take them into their ability to be at peace in that stillness and, and in that silence. We in the Western church have just kind of lost track of our contemplative roots in this. And um, I've been in groups where leaders are just really struggling because they, they have no idea how in their own personal lives they have ever felt a sense of something from God. And they can't imagine how they're going to do it on behalf of a, a group, on behalf of the church. It overwhelms them to even think about it. So these are skills, these are muscles we have to build with our people. Yes. We have to build them yeah. slowly and over time. And we can't expect that we're just going to throw them all in the room and say, discern, and, and, and anybody's going to know what to do with that, right? Right. We have a colleague, John Thornburg, who says, you know, in the church, it's it's not that we don't know what discernment is or or even, you know, how to do it as much as we're unpracticed. Yes. Right? And so what does it look like to practice discernment uh, with our staff, with our leadership team in our own quiet time? Those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. Well, and What's really amazing to me is that the secular world is really moving ahead on this by leaps and bounds. Mindfulness. Mindfulness. All of, yeah, yeah all, all of the work that has come out of MIT on Theory U and mm -hmm. uh, presencing organizations and institutions. And, uh, and, and they're all rich in this language. And some of the books I, I, I read, they, they kind of crack me up because I'm like, they're, they're trying so hard to describe a thing without using the word God. <laughs> and, and here we are in a context where this is our history and our yes. heritage to work with these tools. And we've forgotten how we should be leading the culture in this, yes. but we're playing catch up. Yes. I, I feel like, yeah. Yes. So uh, you have laid out this really beautiful, elegant kind of way of leading discernment in, in a congregation and a leadership team. And I know that it doesn't always work in quite that beautiful, elegant way. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you have seen some obstacles, some things that pastors might face in the midst of that or come up against that could help them sort of think, oh, okay, this, this happens, this is normal, you know, so what are some of the resistances or obstacles that 
a leader might face in the midst yeah. of that. Well, I think the biggest obstacle that we as leaders face is the need to have control over what's happening, mm. right? Like I want to control my agenda. I want to say we're going to devote 30 minutes to this part of this conversation and then we're going to have an answer because the Holy Spirit will have arrived, right? <laughs> uh, we have to acknowledge that in discernment. The only thing that we can do is we can we can bring the invitation and create a space where something might happen. And I'm going to be honest and say I've been in many, many contexts. I would say more often than not, nothing remarkable happens, hmm. right? And and then we understand, okay, we've allotted the amount of time we can to a discernment, and we're not hearing anything remarkable. So now we're going to move back into decision-making mode. And I think one of the biggest obstacles is... Uh, our, our sense of nervousness that somehow we're not doing something right. We mm. cannot manufacture or produce discernment. Mm. It's a gift that is given. Mm. And the only thing that we can do is to strengthen our muscles and our practices to create spaces where if that gift is going to be given, we'll create an opportunity to be able to recognize it. Right. And so one of the things I often say to leaders is, first of all, you know, be clear about which things you're going to approach through a discerning mindset and which things you're going to approach through a deciding mindset. Mm -hmm. Not everything needs to be a discernment because discernment takes a lot more time and a lot more skill. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you are going to practice discernment around something, some some issues we will practice discernment around are so important to us and so central that we really will not move forward until we we have articulated something that has been given to us. Mm. But, you know, and, and our purpose may be one of those things where we just say, we're going to sit in this for as long as it takes. But many things, you know, we may enter a discerning period around our annual operating budget. At some point, we need a budget. Right. So we can't say we're just going to keep discerning until God tells us how much money to spend on salaries versus the building, right? At some point, we need to authorize a budget so we can move forward and manage the life of the church. And when that's the case, then what's important is on the front end, we need to name the point in time when we will move back into decision-making and voting mode, right? Mm -hmm. But we're going to create this space for discernment to see where we're feeling led. And when we get to this moment in time, if there's not clarity and consensus about how we are being led, then we will move back into using the decision-making tools we're more accustomed to. We'll vote. We'll bring right. back Robert's Rules of Orders. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll do some of that other stuff because we recognize we have to decide and then move on. And then we can always move back into discernment again later. I love that. I, I think about just again, the analogy of exercising muscles, uh -huh. um, you, you exercise muscles over a time, but then you step back and you give them a rest so that then you can exercise again and strengthen. And this is uh, not a destination you get to, you don't ever get to being graduated and good at discernment. You're on a journey <laughs> and you are trying and your leaders are on a journey because just when you get a body of leaders that sort of thinks they know what they're doing, then you have leadership transitions and it feels like, oh, now we're starting all over again. Mm -hmm. But I have, in, I have been in conversation with many pastors who've been really intentional about making this shift Mm -hmm. And remarkable things have happened in the life of the church, including and perhaps beginning with 
the quality of the people that they put into leadership positions. Ah, nice. You know that our, our council moves away from being a place that you serve because you're recognized as being one of the stalwart leaders of the church. And, uh, and that we move back into people wanting to serve part, as part of the leadership body because they feel drawn to this kind of, this kind of work. And, and so remarkable things begin to happen. That's wonderful. And it's a great note to end on because it's such a hopeful note <laughs> that this uh-huh. is worthwhile investment of energy and time and, and uh, commitment in the church. So I'm so grateful, Susan, for your work, for your wisdom, for your commitment to the church and for bringing about the world that God imagines. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. It's been an honor to be in conversation with you. Igniting Imagination is a production of the leadership ministry team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. The beautiful music in our episode is from Mark Miller. For more information about Mark, visit his website at markamillermusic.com and find his music on YouTube. Check out our show notes and website for more information about all our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White, and from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening.